Welcome to Trust Company Talks with Bill Noble and Burke Coons. All right, here we are. Welcome to the next episode of Trust Company Talks. And uh, we've got some exciting guests here today. Uh, Bill, we've got, um, we've got Dave Butler uh, and Jack Nicholson from Dimensional, our good friends at Dimensional. Um, this is Burke Kuntz. I'm here with Bill Noble. And uh, this is Trust Company Talks, where we uh, explore topics of interest for our um, clients and, and uh, community members. And uh, anyway, we're glad we've got some uh, great guests here today. Hello. <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree, Burke. We've got the CEO of Dimensional Fund Advisors with us and the great Jack Nicholson, his compadre with us today. So, (laughs) gentlemen, welcome. We're glad to have you here today. Thank you, guys. We're really excited to be here. Yeah, we really are. Great to be back. Yeah, it's good to have you back, Jack. You know, I'm not sure how many folks have listened to our, uh, really to, to necessarily any of these podcasts, but certainly the ones that we recorded uh, in the past uh, over Christmas. So I was wondering, maybe you guys could, you know, tell us a, bit, a little bit about Dimensional um, and, uh, and you know, kind of your different uh, approach to investing in, in asset management. I mean, either one of you guys could jump in on that one. It's a, it's a you know, big question, but, you know, somebody, somebody can take it down. Dave's a big rebounder. He could, he could probably, you know, catch that one coming off the glass. Yeah. <laughs> No, happy to do it. I, you know, I've I've been fortunate enough to have been around Dimensional now 27 years, um, and started started with the firm back in 1995. So we're we're about nine billion dollars when I started uh, at Dimensional. We're about 650 billion uh, today. So I've been fortunate enough to see a lot of the the growth of the firm, and it's been exciting to watch. And I think what I would say is, if when I go back to my joining Dimensional it, and, and what resonated for me. Uh, were really a couple things. One, um, you know, I had I'd played pro basketball uh, for a number of years, and uh, then I had worked at uh, on Wall Street for a few years, and and I had come across a, an ad uh, in the Wall Street Journal, uh, you know, bottom page, seventeen seventeenth you know, page, bottom right hand corner, uh, and, it, and it said <laughs> Money Manager, Santa Monica, California, and I was a California kid, so I wanted to get back to California. I thought that was interesting, but I didn't know what the firm was. I didn't know anything about it. And so I sent a resume out, and I think over Christmas in '94, um, I sat down. I actually went to the office, went up the elevator, got off, and and there was a, a guy named Dan Wheeler, who was the first uh, financial advisor to work with Dimensional. And off to the left was David Booth, who's the chairman and founder of the firm, and and a gentleman named Merton Miller. Uh, and Merton was a board member at the time, and he was also a Nobel Prize winner in finance. And uh, David walked up and, and asked Dan if uh, if we, we would take Merton to lunch with us because he had another meeting to go to and Dan said, sure. And so there I was in my first interview uh, at Dimensional with a Nobel Prize winner in finance, uh, Merton Miller. And it was it was just a phenomenal experience. I mean, the, the nicest, most modest person I've ever met in my life. Uh, but he talked about all the simple capital market tenants that uh, I think we all know and love. Uh, you know, diversification is your buddy, uh, cost matter, uh, uh, markets work, you know, the, all these concepts that we uh, have, have preached and talked about for, for 27 years now. And so after I, I wrapped up that meeting, um, I went up, upstairs with Dan and Dan sat me down and started talking about financial advice and this this new kind of era of advice that would be, um, that independent advice would be built around a kind of fiduciary responsibility of the client doing what's best for the, for the uh, client sitting on the same side of the table as the client. 
And that whole story just resonated for me, this idea that Dimensional uh, had this capital market expertise and had a view around pricing and how prices reflect uh, value in the market. And then in addition, this, this kind of approach on the independent advice side, where the advisor was this expert on the client situation, the client experience. And so the, the combination of that capital market expertise from Dimensional and the uh, expertise on the client side from the advisor then led to this, what, what we call the great client experience. And, and I had never heard anything like that. And again, coming from a, a very transaction-oriented, commission-oriented uh, investment space that, uh, that I had experienced in the early start of my career, uh, in which I wanted to leave. I was going to go, go back to California and be a basketball coach and a teacher. Uh, I came across uh, this firm Dimensional and their approach with working with financial advisors. And I thought, yeah, this is something I could feel really good about. I'd be excited about it each day. I'd, I'd look in the mirror and I feel like I'm doing something that's right and that's right for the client. And so that, that's what attracted me 27 years ago. And and here I am still here for, for, for a long, long time. And, and that's, uh, it's been a, it's been a great experience and great ride. And I think we've, we've collectively had a great uh, impact on, on the client experience and done a lot of uh, good things for, for clients over those years. Dave, you're, you're very, you're a very humble guy. I've known you since uh, we started our relationship um, y'all are our core primary tool that we use in, in providing that greater investment experience for our clients. And um, but um, ladies and gentlemen, I think it's, all, it's also worth noting that um, he was just not a basketball player. He 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 was a uh, all packed in conference player at, at UCAL. Uh, had a tryout with the Celtics. Played in Europe. Road scholarship. Road scholar. Uh, nominee, and uh, more importantly, he played high school basketball with Jay Billis, who's uh, <laughs> everybody around here in North Carolina is very familiar with. High school teammates, I bet that was kind of an interesting experience. But um, so uh, my experience with Dave's been great. We've we've worked with him a long time, and um, just the whole approach that you guys bring to bear with providing a client investment experience that doesn't focus on the day in and day out of watching the ups and downs of the markets, the just whole retooling of that mindset um, and working with us to help, help, help us work with our clients has been a great, great benefit for us and for our clients. At the end, that's what it's really about is is serving our clients. And um, we really appreciate all you guys have done and, and, and you taking the time to visit with us is, is, I mean, you're running a $600 billion firm. I know you're very busy. So welcome. I mean, we really are most appreciative of you being here. So I, I love, I love coming down to see you guys. And it's always been, as you mentioned, a really great uh, connection for the 20 some odd years. And, uh, and then I get, I do get to see my old buddy Billis uh, here in Charlotte. Yeah. That's, that's always fun. We, We've known each other since sixth, sixth grade. We started playing together, and he was this really tall, lanky guy. And I, I kind of got my height later in my, uh, probably later in high school. So he was always this really, really tall guy with a lot of hair back in those days. Otherwise, <laughs> I had a lot more hair. But, uh, but it was a uh, good high school relationship, and and um, you know we we've been friends to this day. And he's a he's a he's a terrific guy, as everybody sees on, on ESPN. He's a smart guy and a, a very articulate guy and, and uh, been a good friend for a long, 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 long time. Well, one thing, one thing that I think is worth, worth sharing about 
that's unique. I mean, y'all are the most unique investment firm. We, as a as a objective fiduciary advisor, um, we get called on by all kinds of different investment management firms, things of that nature. And one of the things that I, you know, Jack Jack Nicholson, and yes, ladies and gentlemen, his name is Jack Nicholson. Um, <laughs> he gets that a lot. Um, I used to get great Jack, reservations when I, yeah. so I started in our Santa Monica office and I used to go around <laughs> using that name all the time. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing like it. You get set up in the corner, Diane Keaton next to you. Yeah. <laughs> till they, really well. till they see who's this guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, this guy's a fraud. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Jack, one of the things I think would be helpful for you to share would be maybe, um, the uniqueness, I mean, y- y'all really, you, you know, in the world of investing, there's a lot, a lot of people call it passive investing, there's indexing, and then there's stock pickers, and then there's dimensional funds, which you guys do. And um, and, and a lot of people, and for our audience, um, I might, Burke or, or I might call them DFA. They are known in the investment world as dimensional fund advisors, or a lot of people go, call them by DFA. So we might we might interchange that during the conversation, but um, Jack, I'd love for you to share what do you think is the biggest differentiator in the, in the way that you guys help construct investment portfolios that allows us to to provide our clients that that outstanding experience. Well, I'm happy to dive into that bill and offer my two cents, and I'm sure Dave will chime in as well. Uh, to me, if I think about it, you know, we've got thousands and thousands of different folks that are out there doing their very best, often working very hard, often very bright people, trying to uh, to do to to outperform markets. And the reality of the situation is, we have lots of evidence on this going back more than fifty years that says the vast majority of them simply fail to to keep pace, even with an index. And so if you think about the the way the investing world has worked and the last 50 years, we started to see this evidence, which led to our founders uh, first building those first index funds prior to starting Dimensional in 1981. And they did that purely because they recognized, hey, this is the evidence is clear. This idea that I'm going to outsmart the rest of the market is just not a very winnable game. It's not reliable. It's not the best way to compound uh, clients' wealth. And so if you're if you're humble enough to admit that, then you start to say, let's let's take some of these ideas that that Merton Miller talked about of of being diversified, of of trusting in market prices. But let's not stop there. So I think, you know, that that trust in the investment philosophy is critical. You have to have conviction. That is absolutely certain. That's differentiates dimensional. We have one investment philosophy. And if you look at large asset managers out there, I won't pick on any in particular. Usually they have a whole bunch of different things that they're trying to chase down. When you try to chase down two rabbits going in different directions, it's kind of hard to catch one of those. And having that one investment philosophy matters because that gets to the second point that I think really differentiates us. And that's implementation. So the implementation, all right, we got this great idea, this idea that markets do a pretty good job of pricing in securities. But we also know that not all securities have the same level of expected return. And, and we've talked about this a lot. These companies that are smaller, more profitable, and lower in relative price, they tend to outperform over time in the U.S. and in markets around the world. And so 
we, unlike, you know, an index or traditional active manager, we can use that in implementation in a very flexible and dynamic way every single day. And so we go beyond indexing those ideas that were kind of critical to, to, to some of the, the founding fathers. And we've moved beyond that. And that gets to that third piece, which is innovation. Because we've stuck to really understanding how markets work and improving upon expected returns. And because we haven't been distracted by trying to chase alternate businesses or different investment philosophies, we continue to refine and polish how do we deliver better portfolio returns in these liquid and competitive capital markets than anyone else in the world. And that level of focus, 40 years of refining that craft, it comes back to me to that that one investment philosophy, implementation, and innovation, that really powers Dimensional to continue to stay out in front. That's a good point. A lot of good points. A lot of, a lot of chew on there. You know, it's, it's interesting hearing you talk about innovation. Um, I mean, it is and maybe putting you on the spot here a little bit, but is there is an example that you could give, uh, if not right the second, then we can come back to it about you know how um, you know how innovation has has uh, has ch- has changed performance um, that you guys have seen over time. I mean, it, within the construct uh, within your uh, you know investment philosophy, is are there any you know, as markets uh, change in factors, rise and fall? You know, I mean, is there something that you could you know point out that you know that, that has you know, where your innovation has kind of paid a dividend. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll start. And then Dave, I'm sure I'll give you an even better answer. But for me, it was relatively early in my time at Dimensional. I think I'd been at the firm for about three years when we started to implement this idea of profitability, which has been research that had been worked on at the firm and with the academics we work with for a couple of decades. But we hadn't found essentially the right way to implement this information that we knew was in market prices. Well, we had been able to make some forward advancements so that we could then say, hey, we've tested this across three dozen different metrics. We can see that we can apply it in markets around the world. We can see that it incrementally improves the portfolios and therefore we're going to implement it. Remarkably, we got a lot of pushback initially. Mm Because people just, they're looking at our performance. You guys are, you know, knocking the ball out of the park. Don't mess with the secret sauce. But the intellectual honesty of the firm was, we are improving these portfolios. We use this information and prices. We're not going to rest on our laurels. We're going to apply innovation, not for the sake of innovation, but because it's the right thing to do to make these portfolios improve. And we've been able to benefit in profitability across portfolios now for almost a decade. That's a huge example of just the innovation being deployed. Well, you know, the one thing that to me that really stands out about that, what you just said, Jack, is, is, and that always impressed me from when we started our relationship with you guys is, um, you know, there are a lot of different firms you said with a lot of different philosophies. Everything y'all do is based off stringent, stringent, and well-tested academic data. So you're, 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 you're basing this all on a lot of research, a lot of research that's, um, and you're letting, and you're, you're like when, when you came out with profitability as an additional dimension that drives investment returns, the reason you added it in there is because that's what the data is telling you, not because 
some guy sitting up in a in office says, I think that we should add profitability to our, our investment case. And um, and I think that is what as fiduciaries, from my perspective, we're trying to be as objective as we can in, in, in helping our clients. And so when we're dealing with with firms like yours that they're able to to just base it on take all the emotions or some guy that thinks he's the smarter, smartest guy in the room out of at, taking that out of play. That, that means a lot from my perspective. Um, and, and we can look people in the eye and feel good about it and they can sleep better at night from my perspective. So. Yeah. I think, you know, Bill, I think the, the, the important part of that is just to your point is the investment philosophy. And, and I, you know, my 27 years and the 40 years of the firm, we've had the same investment philosophy and that's that prices reflect information, you know, that prices do a pretty good job in markets and reflecting information. So to reference Jack's point, when you look at the data, on active management uh, activity and active management uh, um, outcomes, it's it goes back fifty to fifty five years. There really isn't proven to have any real value add from a stock picking or market timing kind of a of a, a position. So, if you start with that premise, uh, and then you say, okay, if markets work and prices reflect information well, then you lead yourself to indexing, uh, which is sort of what uh, Jack referenced in the early stages and back in the 1970s. That's what David Booth and and Mac McQuown and and Gene Fahm and those folks worked on was the first set of index funds. Uh, And then from there, the innovation, I think, was to add in this concept of flexibility that, you know, you you take everything that you can from indexing, i.e. diversification, low cost, uh, all those benefits that come out of indexing. And then how do you add on top of that, add, add value beyond that? And that's where uh, Jack referenced, you know, the certain areas of the market based on the data reflected value stocks, for instance, have outperformed growth stocks historically and small caps have outperformed large caps. So there's ways to then construct portfolios that reflect those premiums in, in the markets that have been shown through the data. And then the question is, okay, then how do you implement? And that's the other area I think where Dimensional has been very innovative. And you go back to this concept of being flexible in terms of trading, you know, the flexibility that uh, is allowed in Dimensional's approach versus an index approach is one that adds value. Uh, and it's, it's really simple when I try to explain this to my mom or my dad about what we do in terms of kind of implementation, you know, the simple index fund uh, reconstitutes on a, on a fairly regular basis and everybody knows what day an index fund reconstitutes. So the Russell 2000, which is a small cap uh, index reconstitutes on June 30th. And so everybody rushes to the market, makes their trades and makes their changes on June 30. And guess what? When you have a lot of people in the market trying to trying to trade in the same securities, you're going to have prices that are going to reflect that. Um, Dimensional has taken a different approach and, and we have a flexible trading approach. And we truly believe that there's value in flexibility. And by, for instance, trading away from June 30 and trading in a in a way that doesn't reflect a preference over any particular security, because there's many, many securities in that index, then we're able to trade in an efficient way that that adds value and doesn't lose value, detract value as an index fund would. So what I think the firms that we've worked with historically have been able to do, like, like Trust Company South, been, they've been able to methodically understand the story and understand why indexing is good. Uh, there's nothing wrong yeah. with an index portfolio. But you can add value beyond indexing. And that's basically what Dimensional's done. And the reason why we've had a business for 40 years, and you look at our track record over 40 years in, in multiple asset classes around the globe, 
we've added significant value, partly because we've structured the portfolios to reflect these premiums globally in size and value and profitability, uh, but partly be- because we've been able to implement in a more creative, dynamic, flexible way uh, that an indexer just frankly cannot because they're they're basically uh, paid to 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 hit an index return uh, that's you know developed on an index that's reconstituted on a regular basis that everybody knows about. So we have a flexible approach that just again is it adds some value that uh, really a lot of folks in the market just don't add. Yeah, I mean it's fascinating to me. I mean, like there's so many people still out there today. That I get asked this constantly, kind of what's the what stock should I be buying, or what you know, what's the latest and greatest thing that we should be doing? And people don't realize that that I don't know what the the, the exact number is right now, but somewhere between eighty to ninety percent of most money managers don't outperform index funds. And the way you guys are doing it is y'all about eighty. What what is the what is it, Jack? You guys are roughly. About 80, 80 some percent of y'all's funds or to 90 percent of y'all's funds generally, you know, you're you're just outperforming that the index funds. And so I'll take that all day long. I'll take a an 85, 90 percent free throw shooter yeah. all the time. Yeah, you know, that's the way I look at it. Um, yeah, I think the most recent number uh, is 83 percent over the last 20 yeah. years. And some of that's meaningful outperformance too and if you look at the underperformance i actually think that's an even better story it's really it's essentially giving you that index like return and so it's what's the opportunity cost you're pursuing higher returns Mm -hmm. because you're a long-term investor in equities and you have low opportunity cost and 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 that potential to compound wealth much greater for your clients and that's that's ultimately why if we think about the boom that has taken place in the fiduciary growth when dave and you guys started working as fiduciaries with clients. That was a pretty small <laughs> chunk of the pie. It's a continued to become a bigger one, mm-hmm. and for all you know, all, all signs point to that continuing to grow. Um, but but because we built our business alongside the fiduciary business, and because these folks tend to kind of pull on the string, that helps us. Because they start to say, you know what, the emperor over there sounds really good, but he's not wearing any clothes, <laughs> and and ultimately uh, that that leads to them having a lot more confidence in what we do. Hey, Bill, one other addition to that too, I would say, I, I think you know the number that Jack pointed to, eighty three percent over twenty years. I saw that number uh, just last week as well, um, and the numbers in the in the last year have been outstanding. The, the one thing I remember, Gene Fama, who's another Nobel Prize winner that works with us. Uh, told me in literally my first week at Dimensional was, look, these premiums are there and we've there's data that suggests the premiums are there, but they don't show up all the time. Yeah, And it might not show up in a week or a quarter or a year or even a handful of years. And so you're going to go through these periods of time where that premium might not show up and it becomes a very, very difficult thing for uh, for individuals to stay disciplined and stay focused on that premium when it's not showing up Great for point. a quarter and then two quarters and three quarters and so forth. So Part of this whole story, and this is again where the advisor and and I'll call the advisor a coach, the coach and the and the client, the coach and, and the individual have have to be able to sit down and really work through those moments in time when when there there isn't a a premium uh, that that historically we have seen, and that's um, it's important to you know be able to set those expectations properly for clients um, and. 
there's nothing wrong with periods when the, the small cap or the value premium doesn't show up because again, as Jack pointed out over time, um, we're confident that the, the premiums do show up, but there's going to be those moments when you have to, you have to be able to, to fight through that. Yeah. And that's going to be, that's an important lesson for every individual. And if, if people can do that, they're going to have really successful investment experiences. If they don't, and they, they fall into the behavioral, uh, you know, component of fear uh, and or greed, uh, if they if they allow that to be to trickle into their investment decision, then they, then they're going to have a tough time having that great experience. So so we're all in the business, you and I and the team here. I mean, we're in the business trying to keep people focused in on on what are the things that actually make the outcome uh, positive for the investor. And well, it's 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 diversification, it's low cost, it's focus on the premiums, and then most importantly. The one that people think oh, I can I can deal with that I can handle that is is discipline, um, and we all, myself included, we all have a hunch. We all think that you know we see something in the world and in, in Ukraine right now. We think what's that going to mean to the stock market or what's that going to mean to the to oil? And as as one of my mentors said, it's always it's fine to have an opinion, but God forbid you try to invest based upon a, on that opinion. So <laughs> I've got an opinion about all this stuff. I got to guess. But what does it do to my my actual portfolio? Absolutely nothing. Uh, I stay with my my portfolio that, that I've uh, that I've built out with um, uh, you know long term expectations, and that's it. Well, you beat me to the basket there. You beat me to the baseline on that one. I was going to ask you about uh, about um, uh, you know the Ukraine situation. You know, obviously we get you know loads of questions about uh, you know that situation right now, and um, and and you know it just seems like. On January one, you know the narrative in the markets changed. You know people immediately began, uh, you know, placing a higher um, probability on rising rates, and and so, um, so you know, a couple of things. Uh, number one, you know, I mean, what do you say to investors when they call in and and um, or you know when they're asking, well, you know, how how can I you know protect myself rather than you know not just hey I want to get out, but hey you know should I be Shortening the, the duration on my portfolio in, in both equity and fixed income. I mean, things that sound uh, things things that sound intelligent and, and, and might be right. Um, you know, how do you how do you tell somebody, hey, look, you know, all, all that's in uh, the market when when you know is when you know, from the volatility, uh, you know, they could say, well, that doesn't it doesn't seem that way. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really tough because uh, another another great line I always remember from my early stage days was that. Uh, the markets pay out big tuition bills. So, you know, you can either hear it from somebody and hopefully address it or, or you don't. And, and the markets will often reflect that in, in a big cost to you as an investor. So look, as I said, if, if you've been in the business for a long, long time, and you never want to discount the current moment because it's always, you know, a, a, a big informational moment uh, in time. But, you know, if you look back, there's, there's always news that's reflected and there's always big changes and big expectations and so forth. And, and I think that the, the biggest thing is just trying to maintain the discipline and maintain the kind of the focus on what you created uh, from an investment perspective, along with your advisor, and then stay with that, that uh, over the long term. Um, it's, it's tough to do. And it's probably the toughest thing for any investor is to handle those emotions, the greed, the fear, uh, and we wake up every morning, and again, uh, all four of us that, that are on this this call, we have the same human emotions. To I, I'm a CEO of a $650 billion investment management company, and I wake up each morning and I look at the news and I have an opinion, and I get fearful, and I get sometimes I get greedy, 
but I, again, I have to check those emotions to have that the right investment experience. So um, the only thing you can really tell people is 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 just that you 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 have to just like a good athlete, you know, you have to find the discipline. You know, you might want to go out and just relax and screw around, but you got to go in the gym every day and do what you do because you know, in that moment, in the big in the big game when the when there's you know the game's on the line, you, you've been practicing and training for that moment. And what's reflected in that moment is what you did in the gym or in the, in the, you know, in the weight room for the last, you know, six months. And it doesn't knock you off, you know, what you want to do in, in that moment in time. So I, I feel like these types of, of investing moments are like that. You know, you've spent a lot of time building out your, your repetition and your approach, and you can't let uh, that uh, information or that moment in the game uh, or in the uh, the news knock you off of, of that approach. So that, I think that's a key kind of parallel I've found in my my athletic career versus um, versus the investing career. I think I heard a uh, I might butcher it, but I think it was a Nick Saban quote. He said, "You know, if you know the pain of discipline, you never know the pain of disappointment." No. Yeah, which <laughs> kind of resonates. Nick I don't even, I don't like, wow. I don't like I don't even like Alabama football, but yeah. <laughs> but I got handed to him. That's, that's pretty. Uh, <laughs> that resonated with me. I was like, you know, I could probably probably use a little more time in the gym. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I'll I'll add to that just from a standpoint of, you know, the human brain is constantly evolving, and so each of us, as we age and have different experiences in our lives, we we are changing. And we don't get an alarm or a Google alert that says, hey, your risk tolerance is changing. Your ability to endure the next thing is changing. And so you've got to continually come back to, all right, I've got a a core North Star of my belief set. But then I have somebody else that is aligned with me. And which this is why we've, we've worked with advisors. We recognize that even really bright, successful people that have a great plan in place, need somebody else to help them in very difficult times because maybe they made the great decisions the last five difficult market environments, but the sixth one, uh uh-oh. And the last thing you want to do is, you know, stop the power of compounding by making a bad decision. And so the the value that the advisor brings across all the different things is dramatic from trust services and financial planning, investment planning, but to be able to guide them through these difficult, scary periods or even greedy periods that are so compelling to all of us human beings. And that's a huge part of what we've seen great advisors be able to, to, to do. And it's it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, it goes against yeah, human, human well, uh, and, and, nature a lot. Right. No, I mean you're you usually want to be doing exactly what the opposite of what you feel like doing. You know, I mean and, and the uh and again just going back to, to what we've seen in the market since January one, I mean, um, you know, talk about the, you know the value premium, you know, being uh you know apparently absent for or not not easily seen for some time. And then uh and then you know, in the first three weeks of January, you know, could look at the you know, the Russell 2000 growth versus Russell 2000 value. I mean, value outperforms by a thousand basis points, you know, in 14 trading days. So, I mean, it all of a sudden it's, you know, it goes from not being there to, Hey, there it is, <laughs> you know, and, and if you're out of the market, um, then you miss it. Right. Or if you're, if you're not, if you're not, you know, if you're on your back foot or you're, um, uh, you know, trying to come up with the right sports analogy, <laughs> but, but you, you can, um, you know, it's, you have to, you have to be in the game, I guess, and, and stick to your plan. Yeah, you know, and that's, I mean, you guys, I've heard the word discipline so many times. I mean, I get asked this all the time by people, 
you know, what, you know, what makes a really good investor? What, what, what are those traits? And I say, really, it's your ability to stay disciplined. It's your ability to control your own behavior. And so, you know, most of, almost all of our clients are very successful, bright people. I mean, um, and, and, and we, our job, but they don't, they don't either have the time or the, the, uh, they just don't want to, they want to deal with the investment piece of it. And so our job is to help them stay disciplined and help them remind them of all these facts that, that you gentlemen just brought up on an ongoing basis. Um, not to mention all the other financial planning stuff that we do for our clients, but the, when, we, when it comes to the investment piece, that is, it's just maintaining that discipline is really, that's who's going to win in the end. And um, it's, it's significant. Yeah. I've, I've seen it with, with people who, who can't do it and, and they get stung pretty bad, you know, and, and they'll, they don't like to talk about it, but when they do now and then they'll, they'll, they'll share some fun facts with me that they went off the rails and took a, a different path or something. Yeah. So. Well, it's interesting that, you know, as you mentioned, Bill, the, the planning aspects are tangible and they're very easy to yeah. recognize that as value, but the, the intangible of discipline is, 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 it's such a value, but it's really difficult to put a, you know, put a quote unquote valuation on it. So it's, but it is reflected and, and people don't recognize the impact over time on those types of decisions that, that really can make a massive impact. And it doesn't matter, you know, look at all the other stuff, the investment return, the, the cost of this, that, that. If, if you're in and out of the market um, and you miss those big days and, those, and big days is uh, come quick. So, you know, if it's the value premium and you miss those 14 days in January, that's long-term, that's going to really hurt your compound return. Um, so all we're really trying to do is tr- trying to give the client the best compound return and minimize the volatility because that compound return is going to turn into to value and, and wealth accumulation. And that's the whole goal of this thing. So, you know, the, the old analogy of, of, you know, being at a hockey game and, and if you step away from the game to go get some popcorn and there's a goal, you know, and the game ends up one zero, guess what? You, you miss that moment not being in your seat. So, you know, we talk about discipline, but it really is about, about staying in your seat so that you can access the economics and the, the value of the, the capital markets and the equity markets in, uh, in this country and globally as well. I think it's a really important point. Yeah, Warren Buffett has a great quote that I'm sure you've all heard. I don't need to be smarter than the rest. I just need to be more disciplined than the rest. That was, you know, just him describing why he's had success. And he talks just like Dave did about, you know, if you keep the compounding rolling, (laughs) that works out pretty well. And it's the same thing with with clients. You've seen value investors, people who thought they were value investors, and they capitulate. They capitulated in 1998, 1999. They capitulated in 2019, 2020. And you, because you've got the conviction, you've got clarity on what your investment philosophy is, you are trying to help your clients, you've been able to help them get through that and have really successful experiences. Yeah, no, you're so yeah. right. I mean, that the, the, what is it? The the title of his, uh, I guess, most recent biography, maybe it was Alice Schroeder, but it was on, um, it was uh, the snowball, you know, in describing, you know, Buffett's life. And it's, and it's true. I mean, what is it like 90, 95% of his wealth has been accumulated since he turned 65. I mean, think mm-hmm. about that. I mean, it's just, it's astonishing. So that yeah, is phenomenal. I was blown yeah. away when I saw yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is my, my ministry. So there's a sermon in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know we're, well, gentlemen, we're getting close to the end of our time. And I, and I want to let Burke ask a, one last question before I do. But one thing that would be helpful for me, I, I would love to hear, because both, you know, Dave, you're now the CEO of the company and, and, and you've been with the firm a long time since, I mean, when did you start? 95, 1995. Is that right? And, um, and Jack, Jack, that was with Vanguard before he joined Dimensional, which is a, you know, very, it's a great firm and all that good stuff. And, but I think Jack, Jack and I've spoke about this many times about he, he just thought Dimensional had a better way of doing it, which I think the, the data supports that. So what what is y'all's impression of where the industry is going as far as, or, or where, you know, and I'm going to leave that real broad question, you know, not, not just the industry or just investing in general, or how do you think markets are going to be affected by any, anything short term or or what are the big long-term trends you see? I'd I'd love to love to hear y'all's thoughts on that. Dave, you want to, either one of you. Yeah, happy to start. I, you know, I think the future really is about um, customization. And I think the ability from a technology perspective for advisors to customize solutions for clients is going to go up, up and up and up. So if you look at what Dimensional has been doing recently, we've, we've offered mutual funds for many, many years. We just launched ETFs recently and we've launched a separately managed account platform uh, even more recently than that. And the idea is there's going to be a bunch of tools that that are going to be necessary for the advisor working with the client to develop that great client experience. And I think the, the given technology and given cost going down, I think the ability to be even more customized in the future is going to increase. And what I think that's going to do is going to elevate the value of the advisor to the client. And, and that goes beyond just investing. So I think the, the relationship I see and the, the really valuable relationships are these deep relationships where the advisor is, is diving into everything about the person, um, you know, from their charitable aspirations to, uh, you know, to their tax situation, their investment situation, so their kids. Uh, you know, their, their college expenses, you know, all that stuff I think is, is become very uh, important. And then, and then the, the big question about, you know, what's the purpose of money? I mean, wh- why do we, why do we go through all this and, and what's, what's the value of this in the end? And I think the advisor is, is most well positioned to be able to make those uh, help the client make those kind of decisions and have those kind of reflections about, about their life and about their, charitable pursuits and their, their purpose, uh, um, and so forth. And, and obviously money goes into that aspect of their planning in their life. So, um, I think we're all, as we all get a little bit older, I think we think a lot about that and we think about, you know, who we are and what we are and why we are and what's our impact and, you know, and, and not, not just in a financial way, what, what's our legacy? What, what are we leaving with, you know, the next generation and, and so forth. And so I, Again, I, I just think the elevation of the advisor um, into this role, uh, I think it's going to be a trend that we're going to see going forward. And I think on the investment side, I think the specialization, I think the ability for you know, multiple vehicles and wrappers and so forth to, to be flexible in delivering that to the client is going to be key as well. So it's um, it'll, it'll be fun to watch, but I think that's where things are going. Appreciate sharing that. Bert, uh, do you have any? I was going to, I just going to go back to, to Buffett Munger. I'll, I'll quit Munger. I, I've got nothing to add. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been a lot of fun. Thank y'all so yeah, much for being here. Y'all have been very generous with your time. 
Thank you, you really guys. have. Thank y'all so much. We've really enjoyed our relationship with you gentlemen. And um glad you've you decided to build a, a facility in North Carolina, which makes it easier for us to come visit you guys. And um your your your, your facility in Charlotte's beautiful. And um and very, very useful too, actually. Um, but uh thank y'all very much. That Dave, it's great seeing you. Glad to see you here in the in the Tar Heel State. Jack's always great seeing you. Good to see you. Good to see and, you, bro. Um, Good to see you guys. Dave Butler, we, Jack Nicholson. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Great seeing you guys. All right. Thanks, fellas. Take care. Thank, thank y'all All very right. much for your time. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Trust Company Talks. These opinions are intended as entertainment. Any opinions expressed on this podcast by Bill Noble, Burke Coons, or anyone else are not necessarily those of Trust Company of the South. There is no guarantee that these statements, opinions, or forecasts provided herein will prove to be accurate. Any information is not a complete summary or statement of all available data necessary for making an investment decision and does not constitute a recommendation. These materials are not intended to be tax or legal advice, and readers are encouraged to consult their own legal tax and investment advisor before implementing any financial strategy.